Let me, let me get you to do something real quick. All you fathers, would all the fathers just stand up this morning? I want to honor you a bit. Church, I want us just to give them a big hand clap this morning. Come on. It's Father's Day. You're incredible. You're good looking. Come on, just tell them something. Shout something at them. Man, you smell good. Come on. Awesome. You can sit down now before we have to start lying. <laughs> well, welcome to Father's Day. Today I want to talk to you about the fabulous five for fathers. It's kind of my own message. Came up with it late last night. And uh, <laughs> just joking. But uh, it's, it's a great message for you fathers. It's one thing that I'm very passionate about is not just fathers, but men. Uh, I've confessed to you many times that I'm in love with men. <clears throat> yeah, but you better know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I love my wife in that sense of the word, but I'm passionate about men. And uh, so today you need, you need to just put your seatbelt on because uh, this is right in my, this is in my gearbox. So I want to talk to you today about the fabulous five for fathers. But before we get into it, I want to talk to you today about how the world sees fathers. How many of you watch any kind of TV? What do father figures look like on TV today? In my day, when I was younger, the father figure on TV was Al Bundy. You know how Al Bundy always started. Now, he was a funny guy, and we'd laugh at him, and I watched it pretty regular. But the funny thing about Al Bundy is, is that he started the show every and ended the show every, every session was sitting on the, on the sofa with his one hand on the remote control and the other hand where? In his pants. And so you, you begin to get an image of that's what a father's supposed to be like. So you got young men coming up and they think, well, to be a father, I just need, when I get home from work, I need to sit on the, on the sofa or the recliner, grab my remote control, slip my hand into my pants, and she's going to be at my beck and call. Right? My kids have already been trained for that day. I, hey, I did my job, right? And you clocked out. When you knocked off at work, you knocked off. That's the way it was in my day. When a man knocked off from work, he went home and he expected his wife to take his boots off, his kids to shut up and be quiet, right? And so that was the image that was on TV. But today it seems like it's getting worse. Father's on TV today. Man, honestly, I'm embarrassed. If I was an actor today, I wouldn't take that role. Something inside of me go, heck No. I ain't playing some broke down, dumb, ignorant, can't make a decision, lazy kind of man on TV. I don't care how much money you want to pay me. Right? Because there's something inside of me that won't settle for that. Are you hearing me? I mean, you got guys on TV that they can't make a decision. Or every time they make a decision, their wife has to come in and rescue them. And actually, the wife looks better on these shows than the men do. So, man, I look at some of these young guys and I go, where are, they, where are they getting these father figures from? Who are they looking at and saying, man, who's that guy looks like a father. I want to be like this person. Where are those men? I'd hate to be a young man growing up today. I'll just be honest with you. I mean, you can look at professional athletes and think that you're going to find somebody. And thank God there's a Tebow in the world today. But who gets more attention? The guy who's had three wives, got 16 kids all over the world, right? The Tiger Woods of this day. And we go, you want to be like Tiger Woods? Where's the good examples? 
I grew up around some of the roughest men you'll ever meet. I was raised rough. It was just me and my mom and my grandmother, and everybody thought that was funny, but they didn't know the other people I was hanging out with. It seemed like every boss I ever had was a rough man who taught me how to work hard, but he also taught me how to be rough. So then God had to polish me up and take some of the roughness off of me. But can I tell you something, men? As not only a father, but as a man today, and I want you to believe me when I say this, you're the greatest person on the planet. Listen to me. You're the greatest person on the planet. What the world needs today is godly men. Men with a backbone. Men that can make a decision, right or wrong. Men that got the guts to go through with the decision. Right? Men that also have the backbone to turn around and say, I've blown it, but you know what? We're going to go this way instead. That's what the world needs today. You're the greatest person on the planet. Are you hearing me? Don't put your head down. It's great to have good women in the church. I love great godly women. But let me tell you something. I love godly men. There's nothing like a godly man, a spirit-filled, decision-making, led by the Holy Spirit, man of God. That's the people I want to hang out with. If I had the chance to go hang out with LeBron James, I would turn it down. I don't want to hang out with him. I want to hang out with you. You're greater than he is. Women, this is a good chance for you to say amen. It's a good chance for you to say preach, pastor. Come on. Don't leave the men hanging this morning. You know what's crazy is that the world makes bigger deal of Mother's Day than it does Father's Day. More money is spent on Mother's Day than it is on Father's Day. And ladies, I'm not hating on you, but I'm just saying I'm a guy of order and that's out of order. Amen. I remember seeing older people when I was younger starting to work. And it was like when a man came home, there was honor and there was respect. I look at my grandmother and my wife's grandmothers and I go, man, they had it. They knew that man been working all day. When he come home, he didn't have to demand anything. He didn't have to command her to do anything. When he got home, he was the man. Right? Where's the respect for fathers? Where's the respect for godly men today? It's hard to find it in the world. It's hard to find a good example in the world. But we ought to be able to find plenty in the church. This ought to be a breeding ground for godly men. Right? I poured my life out into this young man right here in children's church. How many times did it almost take your life in children's church? Don't <laughs> confess that. There might be legal actions against that. I preach my guts out to this young man. He's growing up to be a man of God. You hearing me? 
I look at them, them boys in that children's church. And I, let me tell you something. I get excited about men that want to go teach children's church. I'm serious. There's nothing like a man teaching young boys. Right? What a greater example. For a young boy to be coming up in children's church. And there's some boys back there that don't have a daddy. Man, it's the greatest fishing hole in the world. It's sitting in children's church. And how, how does it feel to be a little girl and to see a man of God teaching the word of God and preaching and having fun with kids and rolling on the ground? Right? What the world needs today is a man of God. What your world needs is a man of God. So let me give you my fabulous five. Go with me to Ephesians chapter six. I just want to read through this scripture because to be a man of God, to be the most important person on the planet, you got to also know that all hell is breaking loose against you. I'm going to say that again. To be a man of God, you got to know that the day you decide to be a man of God is the day that all hell begins to break loose against you. Come on. The day I decided to start leading my family instead of following my family, all hell woke up and said, "Uh uh-oh, we got to do something. If this big one gets loose, he's going to do some damage. Are you hearing me? You got to know that all hell's breaking loose against you. And I'm using that word a lot this morning, but you got to know that it's real. The world's against you. Come on. And it ain't no time to cry about it. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18. Pray in the spirit. When? And when? And every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Let me tell you something, men. There was one day I was struggling with my flesh. I just cried out to God. I said, Lord, what... What do I do with myself? What do I do with this flesh? Because this flesh seems to be so strong. How do I deal with this? How do I overcome my flesh, Lord? You know what he told me? It was very simple. Pray in tongues. I was like, wow, that's deep. It makes all the sense in the world. What does tongues do? What does praying in the spirit do? It builds up your body. Come on. It builds up the spirit man inside of you. That's why Paul says to pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. 
You need to be an opportunistic, spirit-praying person. That came out better than I thought it was. (laughs) But you need to pray in the spirit all the time. How do you overcome the flesh? With the spirit. Come on. Me and my buddy, when we first got saved and we started giving our lives back to Christ and getting discipled, we wanted to quit cussing. You know how we decided we was going to quit cussing? Every time we heard the other one say a cuss word, we just nail him in the arm. Boom! And we're in our 20s, so I mean, this junk hurt. And I'll be honest with you, we quit cussing pretty quick. I did too, because he had a small fist and that sucker hurt. But can I tell you, that's not how you overcome the flesh. You overcome the flesh by the Spirit. Amen? So the first fabulous... Of my fabulous five. This is funny. Is number one. You must have faith. To be a father. That God is proud of. To be a man of God. You must have faith. You must have faith in what? You must have faith in God. You must have faith in God's son. Jesus. You must have faith in God's spirit. The Holy Spirit. And you must have faith in God's word. What do I mean by faith? You got to believe that it can do what it says it can do. You got to trust it when you can't trust anything else. That's faith. That means when all hell's coming against you, you're going to lean back on the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Word. Right? You're not going to fight like you learned how to fight when you was a kid and go punch somebody in the flesh. Right? Right. You're going to fight in the spiritual realm. Just like the Bible says. You're going to fight against the principalities of darkness. The things that you can't see. How do you do that? You make good decisions. Based on the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Word. Amen? So you must have faith. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith it is impossible to please God. We all want to please God, right? I said we all want to please God, right? Come on, I need a little participation this morning. We all want to please God, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. So that means you can't play it safe and please God. That means you can't take the the, the, the easy road and please God. Come on. Listen to me. You can't do that. You can't sneak around trouble when it comes your way and think that you're going to please God. You can't run from the enemy and please God. When the doctor says you've got brain, lung, and liver cancer, if you're a man of God, you can't just fall back. Are you hearing me? You've got to go forward in faith. You've got to listen to what the God, the God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Word says. Man, not what the doctor says. Amen? You've got to have faith. Number two, you must have fight. Oh, but pastor, that's no problem. I'm a man. I punched plenty of people in my lifetime. Listen, I was a bouncer. I hit all kinds of people. But that's not the fight I'm talking about. You must have fight. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Flip there real quick. 1 Timothy chapter 6. You learning something yet? I hope I'm encouraging you and not beating you up too bad. But oh well, you get over it. 
First Timothy chapter six, verse 12, it says, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you. Your fight is the good fight. Listen to me. Stop beating up on the people around you. If you had a bad day, don't go home and beat up on the kids, kick the dog and fuss at your wife. That's not the good fight. That's a dumb fight. Right? Men, you know this. To go home and fight with your wife is a dumb fight. Because you always lose. Right? Just go ahead. Just say it. Just say it. I always lose. It just feels good to confess that. Come on, man. I always lose. So what do you do now? You don't fight. Right? You lead. Don't go home. (laughs) No, don't do that one. (laughs) Edit that. (laughs) Ephesians 6.11, which we just read, says to fight with the full armor of God. We read what the full armor was, right? That's what you need to fight with. But you got to have some fight in you. It just needs to be the right kind of fight. Amen? Because for too long, we've been taught to have fight means you've got to be rootless, tootless, and every other kind of list you can, you can name, right? You've got to be a mean son of a gun to have fight in you. And we think that's the image of a man. I look at the life of David and I see, man, there's a guy who was good looking. He was a pretty boy, the Bible says. And he was a shepherd and he's out in the fields and he's dancing in the pasture, playing a harp. Hello. Let's just say you passed by Doug's house the other day. And let's say Doug's out in the yard in the pasture with his cows. Okay, I'm going to give you a little image. I'm going to do my best. I hope I don't trip. But you pass by and you're kind of looking at Doug's cows. You say, oh, yeah, his cow's doing good. His grass looks good. Man, all that rain's been helping you. And all of a sudden, here comes Doug. Bring, 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 bring. Right? What would that look like? It wouldn't look right. Right? I mean, seriously. You would be calling Pastor Jim, Pastor Jamie, you better get the men together. Something happened. Something happened to Doug, Pastor. We got to... Woo, we got some bad meds or something, Pastor. We got to go take it. Coffee was spalt or something. I don't know. Right? But David, get this picture though. David sang, played the harp, danced in the fields. Watch this. Killed the giant. Killed thousands of enemy. Come on. Became king. Honored the ruthless king he was under until God took him out the way. And it became a great king and even had this said about him. He's a man after God's own heart. You see, my whole life, not my whole life, but most of my early life was my, my, my understanding of a man was ruthless. Cuss you. A real man could cuss. I'm not talking about cursing. I'm not cussing. Right. He could hit something. He could force something to happen. If the car broke down, he could fix it. Right? If the door fell off the house, he could put it back. That was my image of a man. A real man. But can I tell you that God's changed my image. My image of a real man is Jesus. Who had all the power available to any person. 
and used it wisely. One minute he could be casting the devil out of Peter and the next minute he could be healing the sick. And then the next minute playing with the kids. And then the next minute sleeping in the boat when the storm's going on. Right? That's an image of a man in my book. It's not the way you were taught, unfortunately. Unless for some reason you're a person here or a man here that had a great father as an example. I commend you on that. And I say you're a very blessed person. Very blessed. Also being a great father. You also teach your girls what to look for in a man. Are you hearing me? Your son-in-law should be somewhat like you. I'm serious. He should have a lot of the same, I guess this is the right word, attributes that you have. He should have the same values that you have. Right? He should have the same perspective, the same goals. Not necessarily specifically, but in a general sense. You know what I'm saying? She should be looking to replace her daddy with somebody like her daddy. Because why? Because she loves her daddy. Because what she saw in her daddy is what she wants to spend the rest of her life with. So you got to have faith. You got to have fight. Go with me to John chapter two. Let me show you the other side of fight that I'm talking about. I don't want you to just become somebody that just rolls over and dies every time something rises up against you. Because that would just be shameful. And I'd be embarrassed to say you came to our church. (laughs) John chapter 2, verse 13 and 16. I want to show you a side of Jesus that a lot of people don't like to see. Verse 13, it says that it was nearly time for the Jewish, Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he said to them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. There's got to be something inside of you that comes out in the natural. you got to have the fight of Jesus in you that comes out in the natural. Are you hearing me? In other words, God has made you passionate about something. Watch what the next verse says. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. What was Jesus passionate about? God's house. The church. Right? What happened when the church wasn't going like it needed to go? There was enough fight in him to say something, to do something, and to change something. Are you hearing me? And let me tell you something. This is for everybody in here. God has made you passionate about something. The reason you may have some voids and some emptiness and some frustrations with yourself is because you haven't discovered your passion. My passion is for men. That's why on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I'm, I'm calling some man to go eat lunch with. 
And I aggravate you sometimes. But you know what, doggone it? I'm passionate about you. And I'm not trying to get a free meal. I just want to spend some time with you. Are you hearing me? Jesus was passionate about his house. When he went inside God's house and he saw it out of order, what did he do? He cleaned it up. He did something about it. You got to have some fight in you. Knowing that, knowing that the Lord is fighting for you. Knowing who you're fighting against. Knowing how you're supposed to fight with the full armor, right? You're not fighting against flesh and blood. But sometimes that fight in you comes out in the natural. And listen to me. It's okay. Now this doesn't mean you get to go to work and punch your boss. No. And say, Pastor Jamie told me to hit you. God bless you. No. This is when you discover what you're passionate about. You jump in with both feet and you go fast forward to it. Amen. It may be that you're passionate about fatherless men or fatherless boys, boys that don't have fathers. And you may want to start up something where you can get all these boys together and just be a good mentor or an example to them. Right. It may be that you that, that abused people. Just really get under your craw and it's something that you're passionate about. And you just need to step out and do something about it. Are you hearing me? It may be human trafficking. It may be alcoholism. It may be all kinds of things. You might have a financial gift on you. And you see people that are struggling financially. You need, if that's your passion, you need to jump into that thing. And you need to go for it and you need to fight with it. Amen? Can I tell you that when Pastor Bubba sent Cheryl and I here, there was enough fight in me to say, I'm coming in here and I'm straightening it up and I'm going to put it back in order because this is what I'm supposed to do. So, you know how, you know, if you know the history of our church, when we got here, I put my feet on the ground and I had enough fight in me to go against the people that were trying to run the church. I'm going to talk about it. They left. Some of them are coming back. Are you hearing me? But there was enough fight in me that I wasn't going to sit around and let so-and-so start this with so-and-so and bring division in the church. There's enough fight in me to sit you down with your wife and say you need to start running your household. Can I tell you there's nothing that burns me more than to see a woman running her household? When she's got a full capable man sitting right next to her. It burns me. It burns me, but it upsets me. Because it's out of order. Who's supposed to run your house? Who's supposed to be running your house? I am. You're supposed to say, I am. (laughs) Good answer. Are you with me? You got to have some fight in you, but it's got to be the right kind of fight. Number three, you must be a force to be reckoned with. And some of you ladies just went, <laughs> he already is. <laughs> Pastor, I just need to talk to you a little bit after service. He's already a force. I don't know if he's the right kind of force, but he's a force. I got to force him to do this. I got to force him to do that. I got to force him. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. You need to be a force to be reckoned with. Go with me to Zechariah chapter 4. Verse 6. Come on, you with me this morning? Come on, men, I'm for you. I'm not against you. 
4-6, it might not feel like it, but you can pull up your big boy drawers and get over it because we're going to go somewhere with this. 4-6, watch this. Zechariah is prophesying, and he said, he said to him, to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. Zerubbabel was responsible for rebuilding the temple. And the, and the angel or the, or the person that was talking to Zechariah said that nothing is going to get in his way. Not even the mighty mountain can stop him from doing what God's called him to do. Right. But he also said this. It's not by force and it's not by strength, but it's by my what? Oh, come on. Y'all left me hanging on that one. It's not by force. It's not by strength, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. How often are you supposed to pray in tongues? All the time and on every occasion. It's by my spirit. Are you hearing me? Now you can tell I'm a big man. (laughs) Come on, that was a funny. I've always been able to force things in my life. If anything gets out of order, I can force it back in. Right? I was the kid that had the little square thing with all the different shapes, and they were all square when I got done with them. I forced it. You hear me? I just forced it. If it didn't fit, I forced it. And I could do things with my own natural strength that some other people couldn't do. But the Lord had to teach me through many, many frustrating years that it's not by your force, Jamie, and it's not by your strength, Jamie. But it's by my spirit. The spirit of God should be so alive in you that it's a force to be reckoned with. Are you hearing me? As a man of God, you need to be led by the spirit. Come on. You need to be led by the spirit. You need to be filled with the spirit. You need to walk according to the spirit and not the flesh. Just like the Bible says. If you read about all the mighty men in the Bible, what were they led by? The spirit of God. What was the real force behind them? The spirit of God. David was a man just like any of the rest of us. The great thing about David was the spirit of God. Amen. That was the force to be reckoned with. Number four, you must be a fierce opponent. You must be a fierce opponent. Go with me to James chapter four. Come on. You with me? Or are you mad? <laughs> James chapter 4, go to verse 6 to 8. But he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So humble yourself under or humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Are you hearing this? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Did he say to fight the devil? 
He said to resist the devil. You know, one of the tricks of the enemy is to get you engaged in a fight that distracts you from your calling and your passion. Right? He wants to, he wants to create this big old fight so that you get so busy fighting the devil that you quit doing the work that God has for you to do. When the Bible never said, go chase the devil. What he said, resist him. Come here, Josh. Come, come at me like you're trying to get me. Come on. Come, no, seriously. Like you attack me. Come on. Come on. Look, you just resist. It's, it's not, I'm not chasing him. I'm just resisting. Just get back. What am I, doing? I ain't got time to play with you. Stop that. Quit. Go on. Leave me. You follow what I'm saying? That didn't work out like I wanted it to. Back in the day, he was a lot feistier than that. God's, God's doing the work. But he says to resist the devil. He says to stay humble. Don't become prideful. You know, as men, we work hard. Don't, right? We work hard and we want to accomplish things. And when we accomplish those things, we take what in it? Pride. Wayne takes pride in his crawfish. And he has good reason to. They're very good. But if Wayne's not careful, he can claim he's got the best crawfish in Louisiana. Right? But they came out the same pond that the other persons did. But as men, if we're not careful, we can take too much pride in what we do. I'll give you an example. My son right now, he's working. He's putting a little cash in his pocket. So my, my oldest one, Virginia, she, she irons clothes at the house to make a little bit of money. I pay her a dollar a piece, and she's been wearing me out about a raise. <laughs> Finally, last night, I just had to break it down. So I said, baby, I'm paying you the same thing I would be paying to go drop it off somewhere. You're getting top dollar for this. It's a dollar a piece. I'm, I'm sorry, but you, you maxed out. <laughs> and so Ethan steps up last night, Mr. Money Change. Well, I got a couple shirts. You can iron my shirts. I'll pay you a dollar. I said, <laughs> I sat back. I said, oh, yeah. So I just watched it all play out in front of me. And he was like, so he struts into his room. And he comes back. I got these shorts and I got this shirt and you can iron them. And if you do a good job, I'll pay you a dollar. I said, really? So I hit him with a little, a little one on the side. I said, so did you tithe off your money yet? <laughs> no. I said, aren't you supposed to tithe first? Mm, yeah. It's okay. So you need to quit being so prideful. It's good that you got money and it's, not, it's nothing wrong with you getting your sister to iron your shirts, but you need to take the air out your chest because it's poked up a little bit too much. Are you with me? You're doing a great job, son. But let me tell you, don't let it get to your head. Right? Because as men, we get a little victory. What happens? Right? I'm guilty, man. I'm telling you, I'm guilty. We get prideful. We've got to be a fierce competitor. Resist the devil. Don't chase that sucker. He ain't worth it. Just resist him. Tell him get out of the way because you're on a mission. And number five. You must have good footing. Go back back to Ephesians chapter 6. You must have good footing to stand. Say stand. Men of God, you have to stand because there's a lot of things coming against you. A lot of things coming against you, right? 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 
It says, put on, the whole, uh, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Verse 13 says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Right? Verse 14 says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Watch the next one. He says, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Part of your armor is good shoes. When I played football for those years that I played football, back in those days, they didn't have almost like they have today, this one generic type of field, especially in the NFL. They were experimenting with different types of grass. You had natural grass and you had what we called astroturf. You remember that word astroturf? Now they got some scientifically geneticated, uh, some another kind of grass that it feels natural, but it's really not. And, and so they, most fields have it and it's all pretty much the same and it's a kind of a standard now. But back in those days, when a football player, especially a running back or a linebacker or a wide receiver or even a quarterback, when they would get on a field for warm up, they would test the ground. Because if it was a natural grass field, they had to wear a certain amount of certain type of cleat. Right. And even the, some of the shoe manufacturers even had interchangeable cleats that you could change the cleats. out. You go from the round little thing to the, the little sliver. You remember those the little flap and, and you could adjust your cleats. But they, they, they went out and they tested the ground. Why? Because they wanted to make sure they could perform at 100 percent. Keeping your ground and standing firm is very, very important. Last night I was watching some MMA, some, uh, some UFC fighting, just something I like to watch. And they had these two guys fighting and this one guy, they were in the same weight division, but they didn't look the same. And there was a skinnier guy, a little taller, and then there was a shorter guy, real bowed up. And they were kicking each other. And this, this, this bowed up guy swings and he kicks the other guy. It's the first time I've ever seen this. Knocked his legs smooth from underneath him. Do you know when his legs were out from under him, he was the most vulnerable? Right? Because that other guy could have jumped on him, put him in some kind of a weird lock, uh, and, and choked him out. Okay? All that could have happened. Then a little later, he did it again. So it wasn't a fluke. He kicked the guy's feet from underneath him. Footing is very important as a man of God. you got to be able to stand. <coughs> What are you standing against? You're standing against yourself, your flesh. You're standing against the strategies of the enemy, right? That's what he would send at you. You're standing against this world who says you don't have a voice, who don't want to hear what you got to say, who don't even want to give you any respect, right? Some of you are, are getting the shaft at work because your boss knows that you're a Christian and you're getting a hard time at work. Right? You're fighting and you're standing against those things. You're standing against temptation. Man, there's some good looking women in South Louisiana. Amen? <laughs> you smart. Ain't none of y'all said Amen. You could have said amen and then bumped you right. I'm talking about you, baby. But there's things you got to stand against, right? And you got to have good footing. So what does that mean? That means maybe you need to adjust some things in your life. Do you know that you can be a part of a church 
and not have any other people involved in your life? Do you know that God's given us one another to help each other stand? Right? Do you realize you have a pastor that isn't one of these solitary pastors that goes away? Like when I leave here, I'm going to go into my monastery or whatever. I'm going to go into my cave and then I'll be back out next Sunday and I'll preach and I'll love you and all this. And I'll go back to you don't have one of those kind of pastors, do you? Y'all answered that weak. I mean, y'all really could have blew my head up right there, but y'all didn't. You got a pastor that's going to call you up and say, hey, man of God, you got time for lunch? Hey, man of God, listen, I saw this the other day and it needs to change. Right? A pastor that'll come to you and say, hey, man of God, how you treating your wife? Does she love you? Oh, yeah, pastor, she loves me. Yeah, but does she like you? (laughs) Oh, well, pastor, uh, well, that's what I'm trying to get at. Right? But you know, it doesn't have to just be between me and your husband. It can be between you men yourselves. God has given us fellowship for a reason. To help each other stand. The hardest thing for a man to admit is that he's falling. Right? Watching the fight last night, this one guy got hit in the ribs. And it hurt him. And you could tell. Because he cringed. He went. But that's the last thing you ever want to do in a fight. Is show a sign of weakness, right? That we're talking about fighting. Because if you show a sign of weakness, what happens? Your enemy comes after that, right? But you know, in, in Christian world or in man of God world, when you, you get hit and you cringe, it's awfully good to have another brother come alongside of you and say, hey, bro, I got you, right? When you stumble and you fall, it's good to know that you got somebody else to help you get up. I'll tell you a story. I was pouring concrete one night and I decided I, you know, I was kind of tired of just watching. So I jumped in and they were pouring this. It was, it was a, a, a post-tension slab. So there's a bunch of open footings with no rebar in them. And there's no wire mesh to walk on. So you're constantly walking in already poured concrete. And you can hit a, a ditch or a footing at any time and be this deep in the concrete. And so the night started, and my, every time somebody would step in one, I was working with about 20 Mexicans, and then every time somebody would step in one, they'd all let out this, this big hollow. Woo! And everybody started laughing, because homeboy just got concrete in his boots, and he's going to have a burn, and he's going to have all this stuff. So Big Jamie wants to get excited that night for some weird reason, and I go grab the bull float, and I decide I'm a bull float. So I got about four or five of these poles, and I got this big six-foot bull float at the end, and I'm just showing these boys, you know, I can do it. I can make this concrete pretty. You know, I'm not just a boss. I was doing this at one time. And so, man, I'm out there. I'm thinking, I ain't going to fall. I've been doing this too long. I ain't going to fall. And I went to step back, and there was a footing. And it was like I went into slow motion. You ever do that before? And I started doing this. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, it was the gayest thing you probably ever want to see. I, just, I was like, <sighs> and it's like everybody turned. And everybody's looking at me and they're watching this big tree fall. And I, and I end up in the concrete on my butt. Boom! And I'm, my feet come out and I'm like, and nobody comes to help me. I had concrete in places that concrete's never supposed to be. Okay? And so I got my pride. 
That thing just got demolished. I put my hands in the concrete. I get out. And I'm there. And they're all kind of looking like this. Because they, they didn't, they knew better than to laugh. It was getting close to Friday. I had to write checks. So they, they all kind of looked at me and I went, ha! And I just, I went, walked to my truck and I found a towel and they, then I heard them, hee, They was giggling behind my back and all this. And instantly, I started feeling the sensation. It was a burning. If you know anything about concrete, it's full of acid. And that acid was in some tender spots. But the crying shame in all of it is that I fell and I had nobody to pick me up. Right? I fell. And my pride got in the way, but nobody picked me up. That was one of the days I wish Big Denny would have been there and said, come on, bro, I got you. Right? We're going to fall. It's just the truth. But when you fall, it's sure nice to have somebody to help you stand back up again. And let me tell you something. God has put every one of you men in this church here for the next man. You're not meant to do this by yourself. You're not. Are you strong? Yes, you're strong. Are you powerful? Yes, you're powerful. Are you a man of God? Yes, you're a man of God. But you're also a man who's been given wisdom from God. And the wisdom says, lean on the brother next to you. Amen? Because you can have all the faith. You can have all the fight. You can be all the force and be fierce as you want to be. But if you don't have good footing, you'll never stand. If you don't have another brother to help you, you won't stand long. You know what the temptation for me is at times? Is to do this by myself. To shut off Pastor Bubba and Pastor Josh and Denny and Doug and those people that are in my life. To shut them off. I got this. That's the temptation. But that's also the pride. Amen? You're a man of God. You're a force to be reckoned with. You're the greatest person on the planet. Happy Father's Day.